kind of in this midst of a joint worship service series and a season of exploring whether or not it's uh, the Lord's will and it's wise and good to, for our churches to come together uh, in a formal merger uh, for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom and God's glory. And i um, really excited to be here with you on this, I guess, our second uh, moment uh, officially of uh, this process. And so um, just to give you a little bit of a background on, on me, um, I'm a first-generation, U.S.-born, Korean-American. That's a, that's a lot of labels. It's a lot, <laughs> lot to keep up with. So you can understand, you know. I was very confused growing up. Um, I'm the eldest son of immigrants from South Korea who came over in the early 1970s. Uh, right on the heels of lots of race riots and tensions and uh, Vietnam and all this stuff that was going on. And uh, my dad's lived in America for the better part of 50 years now. Uh, They're American citizens. uh, But my dad struggled to learn English over the years. He still doesn't speak uh, English very fluently. (laughs) Living in Southern California now hasn't helped that. Uh, But for those of you who are um, familiar with the challenges that Asians face, Uh, in learning English as a second language, you realize that uh, many Asians, uh, any Asians in the house that can relate, struggle with something called sibilance. Do you know what that is, sibilance? Sibilance is um, the inability to articulate the difference between the S sound, as in so, and the SH sound, as in show. So could you say that? Could you say so, so? And then on the other hand, could you say, show? Show. See, my dad has a problem with that. I mean, there's a number of other things in terms of articulation. R's and L's and things like that mix them up. But so and show, sibilance, it's hard for him. It's hard for a lot of Asians learning English. And so um, that's important to the story I'm about to share because um, it was over Christmas vacation during my junior year in college that uh, I was visiting uh, back uh, my parents' home in Southern California, and I would decide, my dad decided to cram our annual eye exams for me and my two younger brothers and him, uh, f- four of us in one fell swoop during the Christmas holidays, and he said, I, I know a Korean optometrist lady, she's going to squeeze us in as like standby appo- appointments, and let's get going. And so we went. I was so excited because it was my very first contact lens fitting and ended up coming away with like green, emerald green eyes. <laughs> Chick magnet, conversation starter. Wow, I got so much like female attention for months. Um, <laughs> um, but, but anyway, um, so we pulled up into the strip mall, right, where the optometrist's office was. And, and he said, listen, um, we're tight for time. There's a ton of stuff on my to-do list. Take your brothers and go inside, check us in, and hopefully you can kind of get us bumped up in the line. And I'll look for parking and I'll come up, okay? And so, understood, we went up. And um, as we came into the optometrist office, we, it was clear we're going to have a long wait. And this is not going to go the way my dad was thinking it was going to go. Like, there was, like, no space in the optometrist's office where there was four seats together. Uh, there was white people, black people, Latino people, Asian people, all crammed, I guess, because they're trying to fit it in before the end of the year. And uh, they were reading and, 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 and whatever, waiting their turn. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to take forever. And so I went up, checked us in, 
And then I, my brothers and I decided, hey, we might as well just take it chill, enjoy the moment, we're on vacation. And so we decided we're just going to browse through the magazines and just kind of spend the time and enjoy ourselves, right? Kick back and relax. But at, at that point, um, my dad comes through the door and he's clearly bothered by what he sees. Like the press of humanity in that optometrist's office. And then what made it worse was he saw me and my brothers like presumably just milling around, not getting four seats in a row and presumably not like talking to the you know, receptionist lady. And, 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 and he, he just kind of starts, you can tell it's starting to come out. But he starts going like this. He stands there in the doorway like this and he starts going like, like this with his middle finger. Because like um, some... Some Asians, like Koreans, they, they don't use their index fingers like Americans to point. They use the middle finger sometimes because it's the longest finger. And, and he's going like this. Like, he goes like this. Hey, you guys. <laughs> so he goes, he goes like, hey you, hey, you guy. He's talking about us. Hey, you guy. Come over here. Come over here. And then, and then you know, we looked at my dad. We're like, we're like, Appa, it's like we're, we're looking at the magazine. We're, we'll sit, don't worry about it. And, he, and he's like, and so we're like still kind of looking around and, and trying to figure out what we want to read. And then his anger is, is growing because <laughs> we we're not sitting down. And, and with, you know, he's like, he starts, his voice gets louder and his like gesticulation gets bigger. And he's like, hey, you guy, what I say? And he's never like this. I don't know what came over him this one day. He's usually really passive aggressive and quiet in public. He's like, hey, you guy, what I say? You know, he goes like this. He's just Shit down. <laughs> and at this point, you know, I'm mortified, right? Because um, all these, like, white people and Latino people and black people who are waiting in the optometrist office, they're, like, looking over us, uh, like, through their, like, above our, the newspapers and the magazines, like, what's going on? And what's, what does he mean? Like, shit down? Like, and, 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 then my, and then I was, like, as the eldest son, I was pleading with my dad. Appa, appa, like dad, dad in Korean. Appa, appa, hanggukmalo haseyo, hanggukmalo haseyo. I was like saying, dad, dad, say it in Korean. Say it in Korean. <laughs> and, and, and he's not like putting up with any of it. I mean, at this, and then his anger is, is building again. And he starts pointing to each of my brothers. And mind you, I'm 20 years old. And my brothers are 19 and 16 years old. So we're not children. And, 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 but he starts doing this. He starts saying, Pointing to, starting with my little brother, who is the most manipulatable, and he's like, hey, you, you, sit down, sit down. He's pointing to the one empty seat, and he's like, points to my middle brother, you, you guy, sit down over here, sit down. And then I'm like, appa, stop, stop. Say it in Korean, please stop. And then he finally, is like his, it's, it's like full pitch. He said, what I say? He's like, point to me. <laughs> Take a shit. <laughs> I mean, at that point, it was like, okay. Like, the genie's out of the bottle. No amount of Korean speaking and pleading is going to, like, solve this problem here. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, my, oh my God. I can't believe he just said that. Like, some of you might be thinking, uh, like, wow. Is it okay to curse in church? You were thinking that? Okay, yeah. Well, if, you, if you're thinking that, it's, it's demonstrating the point of the story. Uh, when you have a, 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 a crush of cultures colliding and coming together, 
Sometimes, like, the innocent things get misperceived to be very offensive and promotes lots of embarrassment and discomfort. I mean, we sat there in that office for, like, what, an hour and a half. My dad's stewing over in his single seat, right? I'm just glad I wasn't sitting next to him. You know, the magazine up like this for me. I was like, I don't know, forget you, you know? I tried, I tried to help you. But, but the point is this, you know, everybody loves the idea of diversity. I mean, don't we love the idea of diversity? Don't we take great pride in it as Americans? Like, we're the melting pot. No, we're not. <laughs> like, it, nowhere is that more obvious than in the South. You know, I grew up hearing about, oh, certain people live on the other side of the tracks. And where I grew up in Detroit, there were no railroads. So I don't know what tracks people are talking about. The wrong people living on the wrong side of what tracks. But then I moved to the south and realized, oh, this is a railroad track. And that side is really different from this side. That must be what people are talking about. You know, we, right now, doesn't it feel like we're stuck in like, you know, it's funny that you guys did the time warp thing, daylight savings. I feel like I'm waking up to history, re- reliving itself. I mean, doesn't it feel like we got into some strange, like, uh, space fold, time continuum rift? And it's like the 1950s and the 1960s again. We're talking about nuclear war breaking out on the Korean Peninsula. I, I mean, really? We're, we're, we're revisiting that? Or doesn't it feel like we're in civil rights 2.0? I mean, like, I can't, I can't watch a football game even anymore to, like, get away from these problems that are blowing up in our society. So whether you kneel or whether you stand, you know, Charlottesville, tearing down statues, I mean, we live in very perilous times right now, and it seems like history is repeating itself. And as a country, we take great pride in like, the idea of diversity. And even as a church, don't we love the f- fact that all these flags are represented back here? You know, even in our um, congregation as, uh, as, as PCC, Piedmont Community Church, uh, I think conservatively, we have about six or seven different ethnicities represented even in our own group. And um, that's a very precious thing. The thing is, the reality of diversity and how it actually plays out, and how we struggle with it, that's not so fun, is it? It's not so easy when the rubber hits the road. And so that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit. We're going to talk about our big idea is simply this, that I believe that the Bible proclaims that we are better together. Say that, better together. Because our diversity illustrates God's good news. So if you open up the Bible, it's full of text, full of words. Do you know where the illustrations are? Do you know where the images are? It's right here in the church. We are a snapshot. We are, you know, I was going to say we're walking billboards, but that's totally dated. We're the, as the church in the 21st century in America like this, we are the ultra high definition 4K wide color gamut moving images that illustrate God's good news. His word is made manifest in what people see here. And so we're going to simply talk about two things today. We're going to see about how that it really begins. The, there's no hope for us unless there's good news, and there's no true good news if it weren't for God being good. We're going to talk about God's grace. 
And then we're going to finish up and talk about how God's grace results in certain consequences, redemptive potential in our purpose and our identity. Okay? And so uh, let's begin by considering God's grace, which is really the only reason there's any good news at all. You know, um, how many of you in here are glass half full people? You're like my wife. You're really happy-go-lucky. The, the every morning is a new day and a new possibility of bright future. Okay. <laughs> now, how many of you are like, you know, you just tend to be a little bit more like you're good at playing defense and you love spreadsheets and you're glass half empty people. Okay. Some of you are not voting at all because maybe you're confused. <laughs> but, the point is, <laughs> but the point is this. It doesn't matter if you're glass half empty or glass half full. If you have any hope in your heart about what the future holds, it's only because of who God is. And part of who God is, a big part of who he is, is he's a gracious God. Okay, so let's, let's look at Ephesians 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9 here in the New Living Translation. So, so Paul here says in verse 1, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Verse 3, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, verse 7. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Just take a moment, camp out here for a moment. This passage right here in Ephesians sums up God's diagnosis of what philosophers and theologians and thinkers refer to as the human condition. Meaning, human beings like you and I, throughout all generations, throughout all periods of history, in all nations, on all different corners of the earth, struggle with one basic unchanging and pervasive condition. And that condition is sin nature. So, so this passage got, contains God's diagnosis of the human condition, but the good news is this. It also contains the only cure. The only cure for that condition. See, our basic human condition is described in words and phrases like this. Dead disobedience, sin, sinful, subject to God's anger. It's interesting because Paul doesn't use words in this, he doesn't mince words. He doesn't use words in here like typically good, but easily misled. He doesn't use words like, like um, good intentioned, but sometimes misperceived. He doesn't say the problem that you all have in your standing before God or you had in your standing before God before Jesus entered into your life was that you were so easily misunderstood by this true and holy God. 
that sometimes you were just sloppy in your execution, that you were, um, you know, whatever it might be. Isn't it funny? Because when, you know, it's, we're so quick to say, well, I'm not perfect. Every time you hear that from someone's lips, I'm not perfect, wait for what comes after. It's usually an excuse. But Paul doesn't say, give us any room for any excuse here. You know, he didn't say, well, you're just uneducated or, you know, lacking training or experiencing ignorance or underprivileged. He doesn't use any of those words. You know why? Because he says the problem is not the lack of education that we didn't receive from out there or the, you know, socioeconomics that we are victims of. You know? He says the problem is in here. And the problem is you're a sinner and you're all sinners and I'm a sinner. I'm not misunderstood when I sin. When you all mess up, it's not just a mistake. When you mess up, it's not just misjudgment. When you mess up, it's not just because that's the kind of family you grew up in. When you mess up, it's because you're a sinner. And that's a heavy thing. But there's no hope, there's no goodness in the truth until we first realize that the problem is me. You are not merely victims. You are perpetrators. Do you get that? That's what the Bible's saying. You are subjects of God's anger. That's, that's the reality of every human being apart from Jesus. That God doesn't look at us and say, oh my goodness, they're so cute. Oh, I, if I could just educate them, if I could just adopt them or foster father them, you know, maybe I can just clean them up and, and you know, do the, put them in better clothes and cut their hair a little bit and teach them how to not curse and use different words. That's not the solution. Because the problem is, we are depraved sinners. And our every inclination is hurtful and angry and spiteful and evil. We are not all as bad as we could be, but we are all bad. Let that sink in for a moment before we move on. Because there is no goodness in the good news. There is no hope in the help. There is no glory in the truth until we first realize that. No one owes you anything, and no one owes me anything. I was born into a fallen world to sinful parents, a a, a line of sinful, evil, pagan, ancestor-worshipping, statue-bowing, sorcery-practicing people. That's who I am you might be misperceived because how good-looking I am. Okay? But don't let my looks and my fashion and my eloquence, you know, this is who I am too. I'm a sinner who inherited sin from a line of excellent sinners. And there's no hope for people like that. But for Jesus and the grace of God that he represented. Because the flip side is this. God's heart to rescue us from all this nastiness that we are all living in, and that we all, the baggage that we've all carried, 
That desire to rescue us comes alive in phrases in this passage like this. Rich in mercy, loved us so much, gave us life, raised us from the dead. Incredible, which means unbelievable. Incredible wealth of his grace and kindness, saved by his grace, gift from God. None of you scored high enough on your SATs to merit this kind of reward. None of you have ever saved enough in your portfolios to buy this kind of gift. Basically, the Bible uses concepts like sin nature to communicate that before God does a miracle in our hearts, we are as human beings haters by nature. Do you get it? We're, we, 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 we're haters of God. We, di- we, we disavow God. We unacknowledge, we unfriend God. We thumbs down God and everything that smacks of God. We hate other people. We hate ourselves. You know, isn't it amazing? Even like Blaise Pascal, the Enlightenment philosopher said, even the person who commits suicide does so because he's hoping for pleasure. And if he can't get pleasure, suicide is the best option because at least it ends the pain. But even in that motive, we're all so selfish. We're all so incredibly, like, it's like everything except God. Isn't that typically where we find ourselves when we hit bottom before we, like, throw ourselves at God's mercy and his grace finds us in those deep, dark holes? Whether it's suicidal tendencies or, or we're so bombed out out of our minds on drugs or alcohol or we're just so feeling dirty and so self-loathing because all the promiscuity and, the, and all the stuff that we do to look for pleasure outside of God. And we typically say, God, screw you. I don't need you and I don't want you until we tried everything and have gotten to the end of ourselves. And at that point, he doesn't, by his great grace, stand like this. Well, 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 look what we have here. You said you didn't believe I existed. You've been cursing my name. He doesn't operate like that. Man, oh man, what an amazing God, worthy of more worship than we can ever drum up or muster, right? But when a fallen, broken-down person finally opens up to his or her helplessness, do you know what happens? Then God. Then God. Then God rises up, as it were, off his throne, comes running to help us, to bless us, to take us back, to clean us up, to give us a new identity. God's willing to transform a man or woman into a new person. See, like, following Jesus and being Christians doesn't mean we just become good people or better people. Do Do you get that? Like, if you've ever gone to church, and you could go to church for 30, 40, 50 years and never quite get your mind wrapped around the gospel, that it's really just about being a good person and voting a certain way, 
and, and avoiding using certain words and not going certain places and parts of towns and not associating with certain kinds of people and dressing a certain way. Like, it's not about being better people or good people. Becoming a Christian is about becoming a new person, a new people. And God's the one who does this amazing transformation. And you know what? Um, this, that's the only reason. God's grace, who he is in his like unbelievable, I can't believe you're like this. I've never met anyone like you who talks like you and acts like you and forgives like you and honors like you and loves like you and pursues me like you. Like When you come to that realization, you worship, you follow, because you know you're never going to get it that good from anywhere. And that realization transforms your life and puts you on a journey. And that is the only, only reason any of us here have any hope. That's the only reason ultimately we wake up every day and are willing to wake up every day. You know why? Because after you've gone through life a little bit and have enjoyed the goodness of the world has to offer, it gets tiring and old really fast. And you just wonder, what's it all about? What's the point? But when this realization, this God comes crashing into our lives, man, oh man, it lights us up, doesn't it? But you know what? If you don't have that, the rest of this talk, the second half of this talk is not going to make any sense for you. So I'm not mad at you. I'm pleading with you. If you haven't yet, would you, even in your seats right now, just start saying yes to this God who's pursuing you. The yes to this God who is offering desperately to reach you, to rescue you, to redeem you, to restore you, to renew you. You know, it's not, it's not magic, but it is a miracle. And the miracle begins by you just saying, you know what, I, I don't understand everything he's saying uh, Maybe he's Asian. I don't get understand what he's saying. <laughs> but you know enough, and you're motivated to say, you know what, I don't know that I have that. I don't know that I've ever really understood that. Would you, would you, would you just say yes in your seats? Would you just say in your, your heart of hearts, in your mind, just say, Lord, I want that. Yes, I want that. God, I want to be made right. I want to be made whole, and I want to be restored in relationship with you. But you know, for those of us who have entered this life-changing relationship with God through Christ, you know, we become, what I mentioned earlier, we become the ultra-high-definition, 4K, wide-color gamut, moving images, right? That illustrates God's good news to the messed up and broken world all around us. So let's pick this up back up in Ephesians 2.10 to take a look at what the Bible has to speak to us now about our new identities and our new purpose. Paul picks up in verse 10 by saying, for we are God's masterpiece. Man, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Man, my soul hungers with the hunger for the deliciousness of these words. Masterpiece. Masterpiece. What kind of masterpiece has God created us to be? Let's read this in context and pick it up back up in verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders 
verse 12. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. Aliens. Illegal aliens. We were excluded from citizenship, all of us, from among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Somebody say amen to that. But now you've been united. The big but, right? But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have brought, been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Jump to verse 19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. Read aliens. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. See, the early church, as much as we tend to glamorize them, had their own share of struggles. Uh, race relations, cross-cultural conflict, is not something that was invented in the 1950s and 60s. It's something that's been plaguing the human race for as long as, for ever since Adam and Eve started, they, they ate the fruit, ever since uh, Cain murdered Abel, and it was off to the races ever since, right? So guys, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's wild. Uh, the Bible is speaking right now in real time of what's unfolding in America, in our society, in our schools, in our, in our friendship circles, in our workplaces right now. The dividing wall of hostility is alive and well in so much of the world around us, isn't it? You know, I'm a part of a movement that has sister churches in all of, in, throughout South Africa. And when apartheid came down, you know, uh, institutionalized, legalized discrimination came down in uh, South Africa decades ago, Nelson Mandela was voted as the first president of the new South African government, right? And apparently he was in a motorcade driving down... Uh, Johannesburg or Pretoria, one of those two cities, and stumbled upon black people and white people filing into the same building. And because that was like so unusual in his country, he decided to have his motorcade stop. And his secret service got him out, and, and they, they came into this church, our sister church, in South Africa, and uh, the secret service agents went up to the uh, pastor up front, and he said, Pastor, please forgive the uh, intrusion, interruption, but the president would, love, would appreciate the possibility of addressing your congregation. And so the music was going on. Everybody's singing and dancing. People are sitting interspersed together. It's a beautiful, amazing scene, but even more because of what South Africa has been. And so Nelson Mandela apparently gets up and says, this is the hope of our nation. This is a picture 
of my deepest ambition. This is why I, he suffered so long in prison. This, this is a beautiful day. This is a miracle. You know what? When we can come together through all of the triad, black, Latino, Asian, white, of all different flavors, and come together like this, it's not, like, ultimately, it's not because it's, like, so politically correct and we just want to look right. Because you and I know that, you know, in our schools, you can be integrated. In our government, you can vote a mixed number of people. But most people, even in the church, tend to just really want to worship among the people who kind of just look like themselves. And to be honest with you, there's nothing necessarily wrong with ethnic-specific churches because sometimes the issues that a certain subculture faces is very unique. And it's okay, okay. And sometimes, you know, language is also a complication. So I get that. But what I am saying is, guys, do you realize how unique a diverse, multicultural, multinational, interracial, whatever language you want to put on it, church is even in the 21st century in America? That's like an unusual thing. This is a sign and a wonder, right? But that was not so in the early church. It was a struggle for the people in the early church. See, a Gentile is a label that is like foreign to us. Why? Because, you know, we live now many centuries later. But a Gentile really is a label for anybody who's non-Jew. And so if any of you are here in here and you're full Jew, then you were part of this very distinct class. Even if you had mixed blood, you wouldn't actually have full standing in society back in the day as a Jewish person. But the rest of us who are not ethnically Jewish, we are all lumped under a large category called Gentile. doesn't matter if you're from Spain or Ethiopia or Taiwan. You're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. And back in the day, like New Testament scholars say that that word, that phrase translated here as wall of hostility refers to an actual either woven curtain or a stone wall with a sign on it that, uh, that's read, uh, only Jews allowed beyond this point. If you are a Gentile, you will be killed summarily. That's why back in the day, that, you know, uh, I'm glad we have ushers and greeters at church. But back in the day, the ushers and greeters at the temple worship actually had swords strapped to their waists. They were temple guards. Because if there's anybody who is going to cross the line to desecrate the holy areas, they would be subject to capital punishment on the spot, right? And so, you know, you can imagine, right, that if you were a Gentile convert to Judaism and you worship this true and living God, that you would have had a bad day going to church if you didn't see the sign and you weren't aware that you are only allowed to sit in the back, the, in the back seats in the temple court area, the outdoor, outside pavilion type area, but you weren't allowed to go through the doors and you would have died, right? Like hashtag Gentile lives matter, right? <laughs> right? I mean, but that's, that was the reality of their religious tradition back in the day. And so when Paul is speaking to uh, this early church about their problems with racial tension and ethnic, you know, cross-cultural difficulty and challenge, he's talking about life and death issues, possibly. 
But what does he say? The turning point here, once again, is Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, right, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. How did he do that? How did he break down the wall of hostility? Through the breaking of his body, through the crushing of his body, through the piercing of his body. That curtain, that wall was crushed. That curtain was torn in Christ's body. And we get the benefit of what Jesus paid for. And this is our privilege to experience what I would call reconciled diversity. You know, you know that, have you ever been in a, maybe a PTA meeting or a, a city council meeting or a, a classroom or some kind of Boy Scouts thing, or whatever it might be. Have you ever been in um, an organization, a place of public gathering where there's been other people not look like you? That's not necessarily what we're talking about here. We're talking about being brought, brought together and we enjoy it. Being brought together and we celebrate it. See, we celebrate the nations here because that's who we are. It's who we're called to be. As churches, both PCC and PIC, we are, quote, keeping it real to the degree we're able to continue being together and honoring one another, not despite our differences, but because of them. Did you get what I said? Like, we don't just, to the degree, we, we are keeping it real and honor God to the degree that we continue to come together and hang in there and fight not against each other, but for each other. Not merely despite our differences, but because of them. Do you get that? Like you who are different from me, and, and to be honest with you, all of you are different from me. Even the people who their outdoor out, outward packaging looks more like me, they're different from me. But the thing is, I need what you have that is different. Do you get what I'm saying? You need what I have that's different. You know and so, as we kind of round third base, let me just share this, because in a moment where we're talking like this and we're studying the scripture, and, and theoretically it all makes sense to us, doesn't it? Like, theoretically, like, well, the Bible says it, and to be honest with you, you know, I guess in some ways that's pretty cool that we're part of this, like, diverse church, and we're even considering merging with another church that even more, brings more diversity. Like, oh, cool. That's really cool. That's really hip. You know, we can put that on a postcard. You know? <laughs> we can update our website. We can buy more flags. I hope we do. We should, right? We will, yeah. But the point is this. Let's take a step back right, and just get real for each other, okay, for a moment. How many of you know that the reality of living out this reconciled diversity, even though Christ paid for it, even though we're supposed to consider it a privilege, is not so easy? You know why? In some cases, we're all here because we've made willing to make some we've made some compromises. We're all here because we've paid the price to be here, haven't we? Some of you, I know the, I know from conversations with Pastor Stephen already, that, that you've had to fight for mutual honor and preferring one another, as the Bible says, and to maintaining unity through the bond of peace, right? But for me, there's certain 
compromises I have to make to be a part of Reconciled Diverse Church, right? And, all of, and you are all in the same boat with me, and it's going to be demanded of you all the time. It's never going to change. I'm sorry. It's never going to change until heaven, until everything is awesome, and you got the best pastor, and you got the best elders, and you got the best musicians, and you got the best facilities, and you got everything's best, right? Best coffee, best donuts. <laughs> because of this, like, for example, for me, I pay the price for music. When I come and join a church, and it's R&B, or hip-hop, or gospel, I just, it just doesn't speak to me. I'm sorry. Like, I'm a child of the 80s, and I grew up listening to, like, U2, and Coldplay, and Oasis. And so for me, worship that sounds like electric guitar and British rock, that sounds like worship to me. And so I love that kind of music. And you'll just be seeing me, like, like whereas, like, gospel, I, I kind of can't, I just don't, it's like, how do I move to this? And, and why is the language a little bit different from what I'm used to? Or like, for example, I've expanded my horizons to include like folk music. That folk music sounds like it could be worshipful. Anybody who like loves Bob Dylan? Like, like Bob Dylan music sounds like, oh yeah, okay, that's like, sounds like hippie, but you know, I, I've learned to appreciate like folk music. And so, like, especially, like, if it sounds like Mumford & Sons, like, modern folk music, it's like, all right, bluegrass, like, all right, I can get into this, you know? I, can, I think I can figure out how to, how to move to this and then just, like, get into it. But you know what? R&B and, uh, Latin, like, Latino rhythms, it's hard for me. But, you know, the church I was in, in, in Durham and, and even here, like, your music, in some cases, is different from the ones that I gravitate to. When there's no guitar on the stage, I'm, like, going to go into deep in prayer. <laughs> Okay, But when there's electric guitar and digital delay, it's like, oh, the spirit's going to be moving in power today. But guys, let me, like, um, years ago when I joined the church, in, uh, when I was asked not to come on staff in Durham, uh, kind of like a sister church uh, at Kings Park International, um, there was a Korean worship leader. And I was so excited because it's like church of 1,100 people, all kinds of people. And, but it was like a Korean sister leading worship. The only challenge, though, was this Korean sister looked like Korean J-Lo. I mean, that's not a problem. But it was like, it, she looks like Latina. But the, the thing is, she looks Latina. She is Korean. She's got a Korean name. But, but like, the music that she does was like hip-hop-y and gospel-y. And, and, and so I was like, okay, well, this is really weird. Um, and so I was, I was in the seats, right? And, and they were doing this song called um, uh, Shout for Joy. And my friend John Owens, who's a worship leader, wrote this song, and it's an awesome song. I'm not dogging the song. Awesome song, awesome worship leader. My, one of my good friends, John. But if you've ever heard the song, it, it, it's like, um, it gets to this, like, bridge part where it's like, you know, like, um, it goes like where the, all, the, all the choir, all the singers are doing this. And I'm like, what's going on? That seems like they're, like, like that seems so weird. And, and they're like, you know, like, they're singing, you know, shout for joy, shout for joy, shout for joy. And they're like moving up, shout for joy, shout for joy. And all the background singers are singing the harmonies, like, shout for joy, shout for joy. And they're like, shout for joy. It gets louder and louder. And then, and then everybody's like this, right? Like, uh, jump for joy, jump for joy, jump for joy. And like, I, I'm come, I come from a Presbyterian Methodist background in Korean church, you know? And, and I'm like, what's going on here? Is this like body worship from youth group? Or, and they're like, jump for joy, jump for joy, jump for joy. All the, like, the, like, the harmonies that are like, like gospel harmonies, like, oh, like, I'm not used to like that 
part and shout. And I'm like doing this, like, okay, like I'm shouting for joy and, and I'm j- jump for joy, jump for joy. And then it was like, clap for joy. But the, cla- <laughs> the clapping, the clapping is not 4-4 four, four, time. The clapping is like 5-7, some weird, like, not, sorry, sorry. Different, like, different, alternative. Um, Latino style flavor clapping rhythm. And it was like, and then it was like, it was like, like, it was like, I can't even do it while I do it because like it forces me, I have to focus on the, the clap. It was like, and I, it was like, I didn't, I couldn't, I, I so like fell out of worship because I was so focused on how idiotic I looked. Because, like, you look at me and you think I'm good at math and science, you know? But, like, <laughs> but, like, you know, but, like, I'm not so good at dancing, okay? Not, and that doesn't mean all Asians can't dance. But, like, I, I'm one of those Asians that, like, I can't, dan- I can't dance. My body has a hard time moving in rhythm certain ways, right? And so it was like, I was trying to get it. And by the end, I was like, I was like, woo! I'm, I'm with everybody. I'm doing it. And then, and then they do, the, the singers go, all you people jump for joy. And then they go back into it. I'm praising And I was so upset. I was like, I just got to the clap. I just figured out the clapping. And now you're changing it back to this gospel-y, when I praise him. And I was like, oh my God. I'm gonna, I don't know how long I'm going to be here this, on staff at this church, but I'm going to have to be okay with this kind of music. <laughs> like I don't know how to dance to. And, but the point is this, guys, and we're going we're gonna to end it right here. Almost end it right here. You know, all of us make, pay the price to be here. Some of you, it's not the music. Some of you, it's the distance. Some of you, I have to drive 30 to 45 minutes away to come here. Burlington, Pashtown, Lexington, I don't know. But it's not super convenient. You have to pay the price because this is special. Some of you, it's uh, pastor's speaking style. Others of you is uh, like venue architectural design or lack of design, you know. <laughs> for, for some of you, it's, uh, you know, we don't have this super, like, cool, fun, fully developed youth ministry. For some of you, it, whatever it is, whatever it is, you're paying a price to be here. Are you willing to, do you f- perceive that the price is worth it, though? That's a, that's a choice you have to make. Because, it reminds me a scene from the movie League of Their Own about a professional baseball league for women starring Tom Hanks and Gina Davis. And at one point in the movie, Gina Davis's character, she wants to quit. She wants to turn her back on her dream of professional baseball, and she wants to quit. She's sneaking out. And her manager, played by Tom Hanks, finds her and says this. He says, Dottie, If you want to go back to Oregon and make a hundred babies, great. I'm in no position to tell anyone how to live. But sneaking out like this, quitting, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. Baseball is what gets inside you. It's what lights you up. You can't deny that. And Gina Davis replies, it just got too hard. Tom Hanks' character retorts, it's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. The hard 
is what makes it great. I know some of you um, are confused, and oftentimes I am confused as well, along, right, right along with you. There are currents and clashes in society that's going on right now that feels like very large and consuming. Uh, I've seen an article recently, and the headline was, Are We Fighting the Battle for Civilization? I don't know if we are or not. That seems pretty grandiose. But what I do believe is that we are fighting the battle for civility and losing big time. We can't even talk to one another about our differences in any civil, honorable, respectable way. We are so like juvenile and infantile in our ability to resolve conflict. And guess what? When you're in a multi-ethnic, diverse, multi-generational, like regional church that draws from all kinds of cities and counties, you're going to have a lot of conflict. It's unavoidable. The question is, is it better to quit because it got hard? Or is it the hard that makes it great? I don't know if church is supposed to be hard, but I do know that it oftentimes is. Let's stand together and take a moment to respond. I'm going to ask Pastor Stephen to come up here. Just guide us in this moment. As we continue on in this process of discerning if merger is God's will for both PIC and PCC, let, let us consider whether we're better together. Whether or not we have it in us to come together and more increasingly, more perfectly, illustrate God's good news through our reconciled diversity. Last week, I, I shared just a little bit about marriage and, and what that looks like as, as two parties come together. And you know, the first year of marriage, if, if you're married, you, you understand that at first year, a lot of times it's, there's, there's hardness of, of not just hardness of heart, but just a hardness that you work through different things. And even in a dating relationship, courtship relationship, there's those things that take place. And that's true of any relationship, I think. And when you talk about just one church, Piedmont International Church or Piedmont Community Church, there's relationships within that that always have to be cultivated and always have to be worked upon for the betterment of the kingdom. There's going to be times when in a family, a spiritual family is, is a lot like a natural family is. You're going to have to, you're going to sand each other. You're going to sharpen each other. But, but I do think there's such truth in that, that are we better together? Yes, I believe that. But like any relationship, it's going to require work. It's going to require uh, effort. It's going to require laying down things. And, and at PIC, we talk about a lot of times, you know, the, the worship style or the preaching style or this style or whatever. There's a lot that we lay down. But that's not what's honorable. What's honorable is that our hearts are there to say, we want to see this work because that's the picture we get as we read Scripture. And that's the beauty of, of all of us coming together. Is, Lord, what are you doing? It's not going to be, hey, we celebrate, hey, we merge, we're, we're, we've got 20 ethnic backgrounds, whatever. It's something greater than that. And Lord, you're doing something where you bring all these different people groups together for one common purpose, to glorify God, but the witness it does to the world, that it gives to the world, that, hey, people can talk, people can understand, listen to understand, people can walk together. There's a beauty that's there, but I wish I could snap my finger 
your fingers and it just happened. But it requires all of us saying, let's do it. Will we be offended at times? Yes. Will we be encouraged at times? Yes. Will we be stressed? Yes. Will God get the glory? Yes. At times we may say, God, are you getting the glory? But yes, He is. And so, Rich, thank you so much. for. There's a lot to think about, a lot to ponder, but it's for the glory of God. And so I just want to pray as we close. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for what you continue to do. Lord, thank you. This is not new. This is not just something that's in this century or or in this country. But, Lord, from the beginning, your heart is to, to bring people together. Lord, the early church, Jews and Gentiles coming together to worship, people of various backgrounds. And, Lord, it worked. Lord, it continues to work. And we thank you for that, Father. Lord, I thank you for what you continue to do here in, in the triad, here in this state, here in this country, and to the far reaches of, of this world, Lord. Lord, we believe, just as David says this in Psalm 27, there is goodness in the land of the living. And Lord, we, we believe part of this goodness is as brothers and sisters dwell together in, in unity and harmony, Lord. Lord, let us not be deceived in any way that this just happens so easily. Lord, there's work. There's a lot of work. But Lord, we don't have to do it. It's you working in us that brings it together, Lord. So Lord, continue to have your way with us. Continue to have your way with the church, little C church, big C church, Lord. Continue to have your way with your kingdom. May it come here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray a blessing over each person in this room. Thank you for each person, Lord. Thank you for what you've done in each person's life. May your hand, may your favor, may your strength rest upon each and every person. Lord, send us out into this world to do great things with your peace, but also with your power. Lord, use us today and tomorrow to be ministers of reconciliation. Lord, let us engage in conversations that maybe we wouldn't normally engage in, whether it's something about spiritual, something about you, or whether it's something about something else. Let us bring it back to you. Lord, I thank you so much for what you're doing. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we are dismissed. Pastor Rich, thank you so much. Turn and greet someone. Fellowship for a little while.